I am so happy right now. I finished the herpes survey that I'm putting out. It is almost 50 questions, and there may be a couple of adjustments that take place prior to the release of this episode, but it's just a something positive for positive people data collection survey. Everyone who's taking it has HSV, whether it be type 1 or type 2 or other as specified, but... I'm polling the people who listen to the podcast, who follow the H on my chest Instagram account, and I'm going to drop it in a bunch of the support groups that I'm in and social support groups that I'm in in order to just collect data that reflects where we are right now in 2021 as far as uh, living with herpes goes. I polled the community asking what questions they wish that they would have had answered prior to their diagnosis or at the time of their diagnosis and just general information that they want now. Now, while I'm unable to collect data for transmission rates right now, what I'm hoping is that this survey is going to produce enough information that warrants uh, further investigation, if you will. So just to give you an idea, some of the questions, of course, are what type of uh, HSV do you have? What are your symptoms? Have you had an outbreak since your diagnosis? And that's some of the herpes related questions to the uh, physical aspect of it. Um, Talking about symptoms of outbreaks and how soon after your first symptoms occurred, did you seek a medical diagnosis? Interactions with your healthcare provider that gave you your... um, that delivered your diagnosis to you, asking about testing prior to your diagnosis, whether or not you believe that you know where you got it from. Uh, All of it is really yes, no, or check all that apply. Uh, While it's 50 questions, I think that it'll take no more than 20 to 25 minutes for you to go through and just check the answers. Um, I'll have a link in the show notes, so you'll be able to just click that You can take the survey directly from your phone and just be sure to complete every question to the best of your ability so that we get accurate information. I do want to take this to the next level of being something that warrants further investigation by a reputable organization such as the Center for Disease Control. So if that's something that we can do with this survey, then like I we we need it. We definitely need it. It's something that also inquires on uh, monogamous and non-monogamous relationship dynamics and people who perhaps were disclosed to prior to their diagnosis and know where um, they would have gotten exposed to herpes from or who what partner. Um, talking about relationships where one partner has herpes and the other doesn't, whether or not you pass it on to someone. Uh, what led you to disclosing, how you choose to disclose, who you choose to disclose to, talking about support, what resources were useful. Um, And then, of course, we get into the mental health piece. It's just contemplating, Uh, talking about whether or not you're seeing a therapist or if there were any resources that you needed that weren't available to you. How can we make those more available? So this survey is consists, it consists of questions from within our community being answered by the members of our community. This is experience-based. You don't have to have the right or wrong answer. This is completely based on your life experiences. So this will be accessible in the show notes. I'm going to put it up everywhere that I can. I'm going to make a tab on the website. I'm going to put a form in the um, 
I'm going to put a form in the show notes for every podcast episode. This will be live on my H on my chest social media feeds. And again, this is exclusively for people who are living with HSV. So once you get down to the bottom of it, um, I ask about, you know, how soon after your diagnosis were you prepared to disclose to someone or if you wanted to have sex with someone? Um, How do you handle herpes jokes? Uh, What concerns you have about your HSV status? And then we just get into the um, different identities of people who take the survey. This is all anonymous. I won't know your email address. Um, I just will only ask that you take the survey once. I believe I have a setting for that that keeps you from taking it multiple times. But just in case, please only take the survey once. Um, asking about your age, your pronouns, any identities and disabilities, um, and mental health disorders. Oh, I hate that I have to use the word disorder, but it's in most of these. So, uh, please, please, please take this survey. Let this circulate within the communities that you are part of, of people living with herpes, because this is really, really important that the community come together here and, Uh, Throughout my time in this space over the last four years, I've not seen us collectively come together for various reasons, partially because of stigma and safety concerns with anonymity. You don't have to worry about that here. So we can circulate this. And if you're willing to put in 25 minutes in the grand scheme of things like I've done this four years, I know people who've done this longer than I have. An interview takes an hour. So if you're someone who hasn't even done an interview and you want to get involved, if you've found value from this space, this podcast, these resources that are being provided, I ask that you please consider just taking that 25 minutes and just going through and checking all the boxes and just helping us with collecting this information so that we know what we need and we can communicate that to the rest of the world so we can get this shit done, y'all. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. This is just an intro that goes into the next couple of episodes. I would ideally have all of the uh, survey um, responses in by June 1st so that I can begin to go on and start pushing this information out for the um, STD Engage conference. It's the National Coalition of STD Directors. They have an annual conference where public health professionals from their network come together and there's an opportunity here for me to present this information in a way that I am able to connect with healthcare providers directly and talk about how they deliver a diagnosis. So at the very least, we can make things better for people in the future who will receive a positive diagnosis, a herpes diagnosis. I keep doing that where I say positive diagnosis, but... um, And then at the most, we get better information. We get better treatment options. So we just really have an opportunity here for you to advocate from behind the scenes anonymously and your identity is safe. Uh, So please, I just ask that you be on board with this and share within your communities and take the survey yourself. I'm taking the survey myself, so mine is going to be included. All I need is 999 more people to take the survey. That's my goal. My goal is just to have 1,000 people take 25 minutes out of their day uh, or from their phone and just check these boxes and then submit the survey at the end. I appreciate you for listening this long. I appreciate you being here. If you're someone new to the podcast, you can fill this thing out too. Check it out in the show notes. You can visit 
uh, the website spfpp.org is just the abbreviation of something positive for positive people make sure you remember that dot org at the end and the survey will be accessible there as well I'm putting this thing up everywhere and it's gonna be live if you're hearing this then the survey is live and we're taking in um, responses right now so you can do this today you can do this soon but June 1st is gonna be the cutoff date right now it is May 10th so that gives us about 21 days, three weeks. We've got three weeks to get as many responses as we can. And then we're taking this to the next level, y'all. It's time to level up, level up, level up, level up, level up. That's Sierra, uh, her song, Level Up, if you didn't know what that was. All right, so enjoy this podcast episode. Enjoy the ones that you'll hear in the future. Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep this in here until we get that thousand responses. Hopefully we can get that soon like within a week of the release of a podcast i know um, there's several hundred people who listen out the gate so if everyone who listens to this podcast episode is to go in and fill out the survey then we can be done with this in two weeks right so thank you for being here once again and this is how you can get involved this is how you can get involved uh enjoy this episode enjoy the future episodes and i hope that you continue to stay connected thank you Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that connects people who are struggling with STI stigma to mental health resources. Today's guest is Beck Antonucci. I said it right, right? Yeah, you said it right. All the way from Australia. What part of Australia are you in? I have no idea what that is, but yay, I think. Is that is that the good part? Is that like... Okay. All right. Because like here, I think I would equate, let's see, we've got ocean sides. So like I would be like, are you near water? Are you near mountains? Are you near city? We're the West Coast, so we're right on the ocean. Okay. Got it. All right. That gives me a little bit of an idea. How do you like it there? What's life like there in the pandemic versus... I guess, do you really have anything to compare it to? Like, have you just been in Australia um, for the most part? So I have really nothing to compare it to. The, my entire COVID experience has been in Perth. We were super, super fortunate. So at the moment, we're all living life as normal. Um, we've had different parts of Australia have different experiences to us. We have a five-day rush lockdown at the end this year where we had mask mandates and all the things. But up until now, we really haven't had the force of wearing masks we haven't we have had the social distancing and it was an interesting experience but definitely not to the degree that you all have experienced it for us it's like a lot of inconsistency uh, because we're saying stay at home and wear masks and social distance but airports are open for instance right so people can still get on planes and they're full to the max but I guess with vaccines rolling out and everything, perhaps we'll be able to transition into whatever new normalcy is going to develop once we make it out of this. I don't even know if that's the right language to use. (laughs) Yeah, and then it really, I mean, for me, I'm I'm quite anti this vax until there's a lot more evidence around it. So I'm definitely not anti-vax at all, but I'm really seeing that this is in clinical trial until 2023 for me that makes me feel like every single human being that is putting their hand up for it and 
they're doing it out of fear and trying to do the right thing. I, I think at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, which is thriving health and to be able to be with our loved ones. And we all have a different idea as to how to get that. But my greatest fear around this vaccine is that it, it, they've said it's a clinical trial with humans worldwide until 2023. So that really makes me very fearful. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who are just hesitant, especially given uh, like the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, um, whatever data there was that was recently released has turned people off from wanting to get the vaccine. And they kind of got this like, I told you so kind of attitude. Um, there was also a headline that the COVID vaccine is causing people to have herpes, herpes spike or something. I don't know if you got to see that, but it was no, a New York. Yeah, it's a New York Times article. Uh, Ella Dawson and Emily DePass have both addressed it on their social media platforms. Fortunately, um, I just found out about it not too long before you and I started recording. But yeah, if you want to check that out, you can. But uh, the more realistic thing to say would be um, that obviously having a vaccine is going to trigger an immune response. And with that immune response, uh, perhaps your immune system goes into a state where you can trigger an existing outbreak. So someone who may have never gotten outbreaks before and thought that they never had herpes is now all of a sudden experiencing perhaps herpes-like symptoms uh, as a, just a general reaction slash immune response. So yeah, the, the, the herpes stuff isn't getting a break <laughs> because of COVID, oh, unfortunately. Oh, 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 And hopefully this opens up more dialogue that allows for resources to be out there. But I doubt it because comedians make jokes all the time. There was even a joke this morning about um, it was on a news channel in Chicago. They called Messy Glitter Herpes and they did it twice. So someone came for them on that on Twitter. Um, and I kind of just was like, hey, here's a little data that shows you the impact your herpes jokes is probably having on people. But it just seems like the the fighting of stigma just never stops. Like we make so many steps forward. And then all it takes is for someone who has a large audience or a large following to just send us back a few years even with stigma like someone can have so much progression through their own processing of their diagnosis and then here's something just so triggering by someone that they follow for years and looked up to and then it just completely just shuts them down yeah i completely agree and i feel like that's around education and really there are lots of people now i feel like stepping out a lot of my clients are new coaches who also test positive for the virus and have had this big calling to want to share about it publicly. And I think it's about those people that have stepped into their own self-leadership and decided I'm not gonna let the stigma affect my life and I'm gonna own this aspect of me. Really those of us that have done that, being able to not call out or cancel because I don't believe that we can really fight stigma by pointing fingers and telling someone that's wrong, but really saying, if, like, I know that I've definitely been that person being like, your jokes suck. And you're being, you know, you don't 
people who are affecting it. I believe that there's suicide statistics attached to the herpes virus and really just like giving it to someone. But I feel like when you give it to someone, there's not really the space for them to hear what you're trying to say. And it's just a lot of projection of pain. But if you could, for those of us that have stepped into our leadership and see that in those times, it's up to us to be like, hey, you know, there's so many people that would be watching you and adoring you and idolizing you and listening to you and actually care what you might think about them that is so hurt by what you've shared. And so understand that everything that we do has an impact, including, I know that joke to you might seem funny and like it's nothing, but to someone else, it could be the thing that sends them off the edge. Yeah. And so you mentioned that you work with clients and that they um, perhaps get diagnosed and they want to share publicly about it. Uh, Can you talk to me a little bit about what you do? Yeah, amazing. So I'm an emotional well-being coach, so I support women to break through ineffective self-worth and body image stories. And I really support them to activate their authentic voice and start living their own expressed and fulfilled life, whatever expression and fulfillment looks like and means to them. Not all of my clients test positive for the herpes virus, and some do. Some of my clients see me on the internet and love what I do. I've been in the coaching personal development uh, space for over eight years, really deep diving into my own journey. So that's what's provided me with a toolbox to be able to support women to break through whatever it is they're going through and growing through. I had a big journey of disordered eating, which was really what sparked this. Um, And then the testing positive for the herpes virus was really the thing that made me really look within and realize the way that I was living my life wasn't supportive or conducive to a life that I really thought that I was here to live. Some women are attracted to my message because I am so into personal development and spiritual growth and spiritual expansion and want to serve and support other women and men in the way that I do and have had this be a part of their journey as well and have had the stigma affect them and make them feel so small that they're willing to break through and break free from it and share it so that other women and men living in the space that they were living with going from can can free themselves also. So some of my clients are upcoming coaches who are like, it's been a calling of mine to, to talk about this. I'm sure you went through your own shame spiral and shame cycle where you didn't have a podcast and you were silenced by shame for a period of time. That di- And perhaps while you're going through it, there was a part of you that thought one day I won't always be here and I will talk about this because it's not just going to serve me, it's going to serve others as well. So I really support people to connect with what fulfillment and expression means to them and we create a plan so that they can go and actually execute that start being the woman or the man they said they were here to be. Yeah. Can I ask you about the eating disorder? I know some conversations are significantly triggering for people. Oh, yeah, I'm super open. Um, I don't believe that you're ever fully healed from disordered eating, but I completely understand my triggers and my behaviors. I've done so much work around it for so long. I used to think that the way to cure disordered eating was through dieting. That, that was my smaller self really thinking that if my body looked a certain way, the thing that really sparked my disordered eating was I was severely bullied in high school. I went to a procedural girls' school, and I was bullied to the point of attempted suicide. And then my first partner assaulted me with a closed fist and knocked me unconscious. And so I didn't realize at the time, but my younger teenage self just automatically, my, my belief system was women and men are un, unsafe. They will emotionally harm me, and then that will bring physical harm. And so that's what really led me to disordered eating. I went to the gym because I decided that I must be a really weak person. And perhaps if I was physically strong, people won't try and hurt me. So I went to the gym and I started losing weight really quickly. And I got given a diet plan by a personal trainer and I stuck to it. And my body rapidly 
change quickly. And all of a sudden, people started being really, really nice to me. Men started being nice to me. Women started being nice to me. I was invited to parties. And I was only 19, and when I, when, you'd gone to a, when I had gone to a prestigious girls' school, popularity was the pinnacle of success. And all of a sudden, I had the thing that I'd never received. And I felt that just because of the way that I looked, I would never be accepted anywhere in the world. And now that I've changed my body so dramatically, I was accepted just for the way that I looked. And I resonated looking a certain way with being liked and accepted. And if I was liked and accepted, I related that to not being hurt or harmed. So that's what really sparked and spiraled my disordered eating journey. It was borderline anorexic. I was competing in sports modeling competitions and bodybuilding competitions. Then I was yo-yo dieting, which led to binge eating and laxative abuse. And this went for about 10 years. So you had the disordered eating at 19. When did you get your herpes diagnosis? 25. So did these two things kind of play off of each other at all? Or were they two separate occurrences? Did disordered eating prepare you for navigating your herpes diagnosis or what? Not at all. I didn't really, so my, I'm really, I love to deep dive into the emotional and spiritual aspect of the virus. And I believe that avoiding emotional pain in our reality will continue to manifest as, if we avoid emotional, avoid facing off with emotional pain, we'll continue to manifest as pain in our physical reality. So I didn't realize every time I was going through my disordered eating spiral that I was just trying to avoid the fact that I never fit in the school and I felt so rejected and unworthy. And the fact that I had been assaulted by my partner and my belief was maybe if I was prettier or skinnier or blonder or good enough or worthy enough or any other enoughness I could have been, maybe he wouldn't have done that and maybe the girls would have accepted me. I wasn't willing to admit that. And so that avoidance is what kept bringing the disordered eating patterns back into my life. And then I went overseas and I got a, I got a breast enhancement surgery, which came back. I, have a horror, I had a horror overseas breast surgery. And I just couldn't understand, like, why is this happening to me? Why can't things just go right? But it was happening because I thought that was a solution. If I look a certain way, then I, I will be accepted. I will be liked. Men will like me. No one will ever reject me again. Then when the herpes diagnosis came, I literally sat on the beach meditating and I was like, God, universe, source, why? Why me? Why is this happening? And the voice that came back said to me, you will never receive acceptance through someone else accepting you. Your self-acceptance comes from within. But I thought the only way that I could receive love in this world or the only thing that made me worthy was maybe my appearance. And the voice said, you were so much, you were worthy for the woman that you are. And when are you going to start to see that? If you don't start to do the work to love yourself now, the next thing coming for you is a car accident. So that was like my wake-up call. I thought herpes was the worst thing to ever happen to me. And then when the voice said, would you like what's coming next if you don't start doing this work, that's when I was like, herpes is my greatest blessing and I'm going to do the work to love myself for who I am as a woman. Now, when you say do the work, I think that there's a very subjective meaning to that. Can you, I'll offer my example uh, from what I learned because this was something that recently came up for me was figuring out what does that mean? What does it mean to do the work? What is doing the work? And what I've come up with through my own uh, meditation practice and just talking it out loud was being able to explore your identity, discover your identity, and give your identity space to express itself. And through that, there's a healing that occurs, not just for yourself, but in being able to show up in that way to where your identity is 
what's getting the focus rather than your physical body or the things that you say, but just your overall existence and who you are, then that keeps you out of, uh, or that's, that's what doing the work is. So from your experience, what's your definition of doing the work? Doing the work for me is the work of self-discovery and the path to truly accepting all of the self and integrating both the shadow and the light. So, for example, I really wronged myself for my disordered eating and I really wronged myself for testing positive for the herpes virus. And I thought self-love was to avoid facing those parts of me and I could just be the bigness that is me without facing off with that. So I think a big part of the work is facing off with whatever we've been avoiding and really creating an ownership of the the parts of us that we try to deny. I believe that we can't step fully into our light if we're not willing to honour and own those shadow parts. And I feel a big resistance when I say ownership of the shadow parts, especially with the herpes virus, for the people that have come on my path, I would say 90 to 95% of us, it's been a shock. We didn't have the other person sit down in front of us and say, look, I really love you, I really respect you. If we're going to engage in sexual intercourse, I just want you to know that I test positive for the virus. This is the implications that it might have on you. For me, it was a surprise and a shock. For most people who share with me, it's a surprise and a shock. So there's a lot of shame attached to that. And when I say ownership, a lot of the resistance when I say ownership is people think, well, that makes it right what someone did to me. Like, no, no, we're not justifying someone's actions or making it right, but understand that we can't change the path that we've been given. It's here right now, but the resistance of it is causing further suffering in your life. And the ownership of it will be the thing that liberates you. So that's what I really feel is a big part of doing the work. Yeah. Would you say that avoidance is a form of resistance? Of course. Or even, I guess that works both ways. Is resistance a form of avoidance? (laughs) I feel like they really go hand in hand with each other. Yeah. Now, what did avoiding dealing with your eating disorder look like for you? Like, was that the working out? Was that the diet? Uh, I just want to give sort of like a practical way for people to identify, okay, this is me going against what is supposed to be for me, or this is me actively in a space of avoidance and resistance. So there was a lot of different things. There was searching for answers in body image, and I felt like if I looked a certain way, that would bring the happiness. So it was repetitive yo-yo dieting, like very, very restrictive eating. So it would have been the dieting obsessive compulsive fitness I would work out one to four hours a day so I would sacrifice finance I would sacrifice social life I would sacrifice family I would sacrifice everything and anything for this body Um, it would show up as uh, recreational drug taking and social circles that didn't really align with me to attempt to be some kind of socialite uh, and I found that the, th- the reason why I really loved recreational drug taking was for getting really, really, really drunk. It was a moment in time where that inner critic that was like, you're disgusting, you're unworthy, you're never going to fit in, you're never going to be good enough, the women rejected you, the boyfriend punched you, no one's ever going to love you. When I was on drugs or partying or drinking, that for that night, I could just silence that mind. And the same thing happened after I tested positive for the uh, herpes virus. I went on a two-year party spiral where every weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night, it wasn't detrimental to my health, 
but when I reflect back on why I would do it, the why was avoidance. For that time, that inner critic that was constantly on this like hamster wheel of just giving me a hard time and I could not shut her up, the bully that I experienced had now become an internalized bully and I was bullying myself. So I could momentarily silence her and just be free. And it sounds like you have this uh, thread that links back from your immediate experience that goes back to something like you're able to trace the current experience with something that was a pattern so it's almost like it's woven through a particular uh i guess we'd call it a trauma or initial event that took place that has led to the partying that led to the eating disorder, that led to even the herpes in a way, if we look at the events that have happened along the thread that connects the initial event to the most recent event, would you say that that's accurate? Like, you is, is that kind of what um, navigating the thread, I guess, looks like, is being able to go, oh, this was caused by this, caused by this, caused by this, and now I want to fix that. I need to be able to put this picture together so that I recognize the pattern, the behavior, what's happening to me, and now I can do something about it. Is all of that necessary? Absolutely. I think that every person could do this. I say that, you know, when, we, when we're fixated on herpes, we think that it is the entire problem. And I believe that every single thing is a symptom of the emotional pain. And that the herpes virus, for example, is just a tiny piece of our self-worth jigsaw puzzle as is the disordered eating, or also sex is another place that I would try and avoid. Sex and men was another place. So they're all little pieces, and when I, and doing any of those things isn't wrong or bad, but doing it from a space of avoidance or as a vice that has more control over you than you have control over it, that's when you recognize that it's a problem rather than a toy that you're exploring. And so realizing that, that's where I feel we can actually look at our life puzzle and be like, what are my individual pieces? Why are they showing up like this? Is it causing me suffering? Is it causing me joy? And where is it, like, is it the symptom? Where is it coming from? What am I trying to avoid? What emotion is it that I'm avoiding? What am I getting from doing this thing? And when we really start deep diving there and asking those questions, I feel like we start getting answers. At what point was that inner voice that you said you silenced through recreational drugs, alcohol, sex, and partying? At what points in your life was that inner critic the loudest? Mm, definitely when I first tested positive for the herpes virus, that, was, that will always be one of the most significant, impactful, and painful moments of my life. That was another time again when I uh, was seriously considering suicide. That's why I do believe that I feel, that's why sometimes I, I forget that herpes is stigmatized because I talk about it so much now. And then I receive so many women who message me about it. I'm just like, it's such a normal part of my conversation. I go down to the coffee shop, I'll talk about herpes. Like, it's just, I forget that at one stage I thought that not living might be a better solution than living with this. So that was probably when she was the loudest. That was, I think that, that, that just answers it, when I first found out. Mm-hmm. And then navigating that first two years, um, knowing that. 
What does it look like? Because something positive for positive people. That's the whole reason that we started was because there were people who wanted to kill themselves after their herpes diagnosis. And after a survey in 2019 of 110 plus people who were living with uh, the herpes virus, what I found was that 49% of people had considered suicide and 6% actually went through with an attempt. So for anyone who um, is listening to this and maybe questions that are like, oh, bullshit, or if they're thinking, oh, it's just herpes, or if someone's like, yeah, that's me right now, I'd like to know for you, do you recall what led to the thoughts of, um, of contemplating suicide? And then what did you do afterwards in order to begin to... Uh, heal from those thoughts or cope with those thoughts that you were having so i mean that brings up a lot of emotion for me because i like just to even hear those numbers and i believe that's a true representation like 49 percent that six percent that actually have attempted but the thought that came up for me was who will love me now like who who will ever want me again will i ever experience can i ask you can I ask you something? So you said we can talk about anything here. Now, was it who will love me or was it who's going to have sex with me? No, it was who will love me now. Okay. It was who, who will love me now. Um, I received it from, I just left a partner, which was essentially the love of my life. And I left him for another man. And that man promised me he was STI free. And he said that he'd had a check the week prior. And as we went to have sex, I asked him to put a condom on. He didn't have one. He reassured me. It was tested last week. And then I had my first outbreak three weeks later. And I just felt like my entire life was ruined. And so my question to myself was like, who will love me now? Um, I, can we swear? I oh, effed up my life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when uh, you... I've effed up my life. I've, I've, I've really made a huge mistake that I can't undo. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all my fault. I'm a disgusting person. And I stayed with that. When I told that man, he promised that he didn't know about it, even though I questioned that. And, I, and he promised that he loved me. So I stayed with him for a year mm-hmm. um, because I was just like, well, no one else in this world is ever going to accept me. I never, I was having resistance around saying the word. There was a time where I couldn't have the word herpes come out of my mouth. It disgusted me. So I stayed with him for a year because I was just like, well, he loves me. He knows about it. I never have to talk about it again. Um, I'll just, this is, this is my Ooh, life now. And that, I guess staying in the relationship is even a form of avoidance. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask yeah. you, so your period of, I want to call it grieving, um, after your diagnosis and you said you feel like you effed up and all of that, was that more so about, because you also said um, that you felt like no one would love you again. And here you were with someone who loved you, who'd shown you that, who you had that experience with, and then you left them for another man. Was it the act of leaving that became more strenuous on you than the thoughts of, oh my God, now I have herpes? Did you ever think like, I should have just stayed with the other guy? Of course. I left, the, the man that I really loved, we, had an un, we didn't relate sexually. Um, and that's a big part of the reason that I left him. And I was madly in love with him. He, him and his family were were like my family. So this was the person that I thought I would marry, but after three years, I still felt unfulfilled 
sexually and I didn't see a future, I thought if I'm unfulfilled at 25, how am I going to feel at 40? Um, how is this man ever going to be able to, like, se- my sexual needs are really important to me and we're just not seeing eye to eye. When I left him because of that, like, that was the main reason I left him. And the next person I was with, he was wild and fun and he was just kind of like your perfect rebound. And so I went to this man as like this wild, fun time that I thought might be like a three-month rebound and ended up with a herpes virus. I was just like, fuck, what was I, pardon me, was I better off staying with the man that I loved and having an unfulfilling sex life and not having herpes or meeting this wild man and then ending up with this, what I thought was life-ending, sex-ruining virus, which is none of that, but I thought it was at the time. So there was definitely a lot of just like, you made a huge mistake. Yeah. And did, were you able to talk to your person that you were in love with about the sex, like improving on ways to make the sex better? Was there dialogue exchanged? I had tried for a really long time and granted me eight years older now would be able to have a far different conversation. But the way we, the way that we communicated was very, very different when he heard me communicating with him what he was receiving was I was putting him down or criticizing his performance, whereas my intention was always, I want to create a deeper connection, I really love you, this is like, and what he was hearing was he was doing a bad job and just not meeting my needs, which was never what I was trying to say, but it's such a touchy subject, and there can be a lot of shame there, Um, and I was just young, I didn't know how to have the conversation, so there was definitely a good year and a half of attempting to have that conversation before it got to breaking point. Yeah. And what was the final breaking point? Was it the appearance of this other guy or was it things already in place that made you decide, all right, this relationship's over? Oh, you know, I thought that because I loved him so much that we, I could just deal with it. And every time I got drunk and I saw him give another woman attention, I would get ragingly jealous because I didn't feel wanted behind closed doors by him. And so whenever I was drunk and I would see him give another woman attention, I would cause a big fight, a big argument. It would be like psycho girlfriend 3000. And he would tell me I have a drinking problem. I would say, I don't have a drinking problem. I have suppressed emotions that I don't feel you are hearing. And I don't feel wanted and loved and desired by you. We had different love languages. His, the way that he showed me love was to care and worry about me, make sure that there was food on the table, to make sure I was safe. But I have a beautiful father, and I remember I used to scream at him, I don't need another dad. I have a great dad. I need a man who, like, desires and yearns for me. And he'd say, I love you so much. And I was like, I don't feel loved by you. So when I was drunk, it would come out then. And I'd tell him it's my suppressed emotion coming out that you're not hearing. And that was, like, multiple situations of that kind of was the breaking point. Yeah. All right. Now, I also want to make sure that before we get off of here we talk about avoidance of being in a relationship with the person who may have given you herpes or has herpes as well uh as a way of like avoiding talking about herpes but i really 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 want to go into how you were able to develop the language to where you were able to um in hindsight now speak to what was going on between you and the partner that you left for the person that you may have gotten herpes from like what was that process like of going from 
you know, what you're saying is being received in a different way. Now, part of that is on the person receiving the information, true enough. But at the same time, the way that you're communicating with me, I can't imagine you having spoken to him this same way and him just not getting it. So where was the self-education, if you will, that took place in order for you to have the language and the know-how and the emotional intelligence to be able to speak about the experience in hindsight? So it's really interesting that you blame the person who didn't give you herpes for everything that happened to you. Yeah, that makes me think of how many different things we can blame. Like, if we don't know who gave us herpes, like, for me, I don't know who gave it to me. I recently uh, reached out to someone. I had a shower thought because, like I said, I started this podcast because people wanted to commit suicide after their diagnosis. And I had an ex-partner who made an attempt to end her life. Uh, Fortunately, she is still here. 
Um, and I wondered, I was like, whoa, maybe what if she did that because she had herpes or if I had given it to her. So I checked in with her and we had a nice little conversation and she doesn't have it or she at least hasn't had symptoms or tested positive for it. So from that point, it was like, oh, I genuinely have no clue where I got it from. And my initial response was just, all right, well, guess I'm the blame. Whereas your response was you even looked for somebody to blame to the point where it was like this person who loved me that I thought I was going to be with. They didn't hear me. And I looked back and I'm like, wow, any of those women that I hooked up with, had I not hooked up with one of them, I could blame them for having slept with me. I could blame the person who gave me that extra shot or beer that made me drunk enough to go and be uh unattractive to someone that I would have talked to there you can go on for infinity with these potential outcomes so it's amazing to me that the energy that we direct externally to uh, a cause or a person or a situation that we want to pinpoint the most challenging thing that we've ever experienced in our life is when redirected the most healing thing for us and what i mean by redirected i mean redirected internally because i mean had i not had i blamed other people or had someone to blame i could have just been like oh this is their fault like it's not my fault i have herpes it's not my fault that um i feel the way that i do but when i took responsibility and i was able to you know heal myself I'm also being able to facilitate the healing of other people just through this podcast or this nonprofit. And I wish that people could get to a point quickly of seeing that for themselves and just being able to see, all right, once I redirect this energy that I'm giving to the person who made me feel this way, the person who gave it to me, the reason, the person that I'm blaming, the event that I'm blaming, then people can understand their own power and it's reinvested in ourselves to the point where we can begin to self-explore self-discover and self-express in a way that's going to be healing for ourselves and perhaps even those people that come into our presence mm, yeah no absolutely like, just amen to that the, the pain of being so mad at someone else thinking that they had created my pain when I came to the decision that I'm the catalyst for it all and I get to own my actions, not wrong myself for them and not wrong past versions of myself and not shame her, but accept her and love on her and forgive her and realize that my life is in the exact place that it is right now because of me. No one made me do anything. No one can make me do anything. It is all myself the more because personal power and personal freedom is so important to me. And every time that I've gone to blame someone else for anything, I'm like, I'm literally handing my power away. So there are so many places that we can point fingers and it's frustrating and the ego and my personality hates saying, yeah, I take ownership for it. When I first went through this path, I was like, hell no, am I taking ownership for nothing? This was, I'd only slept with boyfriends. I'd slept with a small handful of people. I was, uh, he promised me I could have all the reasons why I should not have been on the receiving end. He promised me, he said the week prior, he lied. If the boyfriend had had sex with me the right way, if he'd have listened, there's so many things, I could blame them. The time I did for years until I realized that's me just handing my power over. And I created this all. Mm -hmm. All right, now we can get back to the avoidance in the relationship. So being in the relationship, 
how did that relationship look after you were aware that it was a direct correlation between you having sex with this new partner who made you feel the way that the other partner couldn't make you feel and you got so invested and you were excited about this only to have had sex unprotected and then three weeks later have an outbreak with this person and then you stayed with him for a year after that so what did this relationship look like and uh i'm gonna try and tie this into how the convenience of this relationship was actually an avoidance tactic so this is like avoidance in action if you will so just talk me through what the relationship looked like and i'll just be quiet so he was a really great person and we had a really great friendship there was a deep underlying resentment that permanently existed within me for him passing the virus on to me. And because he said that he didn't know about it, he still says that he that he had an STI check the week prior, but in Australia you don't do your blood, so he probably just got your normal chlamydia, gonorrhea, all the things. Um, I couldn't allow the relationship to thrive, even if it had the potential to go somewhere, because underlying everything, no matter how great he's perceived, he treated me really well and there was just this underlying I hate you you've taken my freedom away from me and I deeply resent you so I wasn't the kindest girlfriend to him he treated me beautifully and he treated me the way I'd want any woman to be treated by a partner or any person to be treated by their partner but I couldn't there was no forgiveness there was a lot of blame I treated him poorly he would spoil me which I think and I can only make assumptions was an attempt to make up for the virus, I'd be like, yeah, you buy me a handbag, you gave me the, her- you gave me herpes, take me on a holiday, pay for it all, you gave me herpes, like, you, would you, you every- would you tell him that, or is that just what was happening? That was what was happening, okay. and as, as it was happening, there was not really, there was not thanks to me, like, if someone did something really kind and really generous to me now, I would be so grateful, but I was, I felt so entitled, like, yes, pay for our Thailand trip, you gave me herpes. like buy me an expensive handbag so he would spoil me Um, and I really think that while I feel like it was the unspoken elephant in the room that he knew that that was why he was doing it and I was just taking it because I felt like I deserved it like you can never repay me for what you took took from me and then to be perfectly honest it led to I had no respect for him I ended up cheating on him a lot I waited for I waited for the symptom to come back. I waited for the herpes virus to come back, another outbreak, and I really lived in fear that it, because the first one is horrific, right? So painful. Um, and I really lived in fear that it would come again, and it didn't. I'm very pro-natural health, high-quality drinking water, exercise every day, organic food, ocean swims, cold baths, all the things. And as the symptom didn't come back, I started partying, I started cheating on him, and so I really didn't treat him the way that he deserved. Until it got to a point where I was like, there are no symptoms. I'm going to try and live in denial for a period of time and pretend like I don't have the herpes virus. And eventually I'm going to break up with him because I don't love him and I actually really hate you for taking my freedom from me. And the funny thing is I've been reflecting on this lately and I thought to myself, if he had have just told me to my face, I test positive for the herpes virus. I was so curious about this man. And I know, like, my kind of life philosophy is I would rather live and know that that was not what I wanted rather than not explore it and wonder what if. So I feel like if he had sat me down and said, hey, Beck, 
just so you know, I test positive for the herpes virus. I believe that I was so curious about him that I would have explored that and gone there anyway. And so I was sitting there thinking the other day, you would have ended up in the exact same position. But the difference would have been that I would have had the choice. Mm. And it was a freedom of choice being taken from me that I really resented. Yeah. So you, eating disorder, herpes diagnosis, suicide ideation, where was that in this? Was this during the relationship? Was it after this one ended? Or what? Where was it? During. It was the first, it was definitely throughout the first outbreak. Uh, to be, I, I don't take uh, medication. I would, I would take uh, a Xanax and sleep for the next like 24 hours. Whenever I woke up, I would take another Xanax and fall asleep again. And so in between that time and waking up, I would wake up and just think it's just not, I, I don't think I can live through this. And if this is what an outbreak is like every time, there is no way I'm going to survive this life. So definitely the first 30 days was the absolute worst. Um, the next two months, a little bit, but not to the ex- ex- extreme that it was in the first 30 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said that you cheated. So like mm-hmm. at what points was, what, what, what was, where did the cheating come from? I'm curious about that. The cheating came from, I felt like I had my goodness ripped from me. I was like, I've only slept with boyfriends and I kind of wore this like a badge of honor. Like I used to really judge women who were very sexually expressed because I didn't allow myself to explore that aspect of me. And so herpes was kind of a beautiful blessing because it did. It took away the, oh my God, sex is only for boyfriends. And it allowed me, there was a part of me to begin with that was the desire. Well, I've been ruined now. I'd only slept with boyfriends and I ended up with this, which in Australia, there's a stigma of it being the slut STI. So I was like, well, I may as well go and act like one because I've got it now. Um, So I really decided my boyfriend, the man who I believe gave it to me, he he didn't have a right to be respected. And then I'd go out partying with my girlfriends and be in social circles where we were all partying, recreational drug taking, the inner critic would silence for the night and I'd just feel free and liberated and just decide, I'm just going to go and have fun now because what's the point in not? Mm -hmm. Was there any guilt towards your boyfriend or was it kind of like this, you deserve this, you gave me herpes? There was, you deserve, to be completely honest, the first two years I went through a real I hate men and it's men's fault for why I'm where I'm at. And so it was, I blamed him. I believed that he deserved it. And for the men that I slept with, I was just like, I don't, I don't respect you. I don't care. Mm. It wasn't a healthy phase. It, it was two years of quite a to- toxic thought process that I didn't understand. Yeah. And there wasn't any potential for relationships with these men. It was just, we're just hooking up and like no phone number exchange, no conversations about STIs, any of that. Oh, that's, I wish I could like have that, but no, let me, <laughs> let me stop. Uh, not the no conversation about SCIs, but like, I'm not a hookup person. Like I'm very demisexual. I need you to like romance me and get to know me and feel emotionally safe. And then I can do all of the things to you. But yeah, it seems like that's not how they get down in Australia, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. I've never explored this kind of like wild, yeah. that, you know, I, the herpes virus I was just like well I'm ruined now like that was my, my that was my thought I am ruined now that's what I used to think to myself so what 
also it's not sacred anymore. Um, whereas before, I'm in a partnership now, and I met my partner in September. And for the two years prior, I knew that it got to a point where how I was behaving was out of my integrity and out of my alignment, and it would start to feel bad, and the guilt would arise. Mm-hmm. And I'd know that I was treating myself and others disrespectfully, and that's when I knew it was time to change. And when I knew it was time to change, that's when you know I rewrote my beliefs around sex and started to think about what feels really good for me, what conversations prior to sex feel really good for me. I need to have – it's really funny. I knew, my, I knew my boyfriend for four years prior to us being together, He's commented on all my stuff, all my herpes videos, everything. So when we first went to have sex, we didn't have a conversation. And I didn't realize that was a block for me. And I was saying to my one of my best friends, I was like, I like Jake so much, but sexually we're not connecting. And I, I don't feel fully expressed with him. And she goes to me, have you had the herpes conversation with him? I was like, I don't need to. He's commented on all my stuff. He knows. She goes, well, maybe it still needs to come out of your mouth. And so I realized that I had to sit him down on the bed and be like, hey, I know that you know, but we still haven't had the herpes conversation, and I'd really like to so that my space is clear because I'm not feeling fully expressed with you in bed. So now I'm super aware of if I don't use my voice, I feel blocked. Oh, if you don't use your voice, you feel blocked. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, I want to I wanna highlight that somehow um, because I wonder... I've even had these thoughts lately of how challenging it is for us to not only ask for help, but to also say no. And these are both things that are centered around your voice and being able to communicate and communication. So wherever there's discomfort, perhaps you're doing something you don't want to do and you need to say no, or the discomfort is really coming from you not asking for what it is that you need. And for you, to have just felt discomfort and then been like, man, what is this? I, I feel uncomfortable. Just being able to question it was what led you to say it to the right person who was like, well, did you talk about herpes? And especially for us as people who are open about our status, I think that we do make the assumption that, okay, well, if this person has followed me, if they see my content, then they know I have herpes and they know how they should feel about it. But that's not the case. The feelings are very subjective. So a person may see it and just perhaps trust that you know what you're doing or maybe they have some internalized stigma that they haven't dealt with because it's like oh well you know she's hot and she has herpes but I mean I trust her she's not going to give it to me and you just really need to clear the air about that as well because there is so much misinformation that even the information that we provide may not be absorbed in the way that we're communicating it like i've told someone hey you know there's always a risk of you getting herpes from me regardless if i take the precautions take medication wear condoms there's always a chance and several weeks into the relationship um she repeats back to me oh you said i can't get herpes from you i was like whoa that's not what i said so this is even something perhaps worth revisiting with partners just to make sure that they're still on the same page and Uh, up to date on what's going on because over time I think that we can shift what it is that we hear we hear what we want to hear in the moment and then there's just different ways that it's interpreted and expressed uh, throughout the interactions that we have so yeah I, I very much like that feeling blocked because you're not using your voice and then recognizing that you had something to clear up Absolutely, and I know for a lot of women who engage with me, they're 
beyond the fear of who will love me now, which is, I think, the most common fear for the women that have engaged with me, the next fear is, what if I give it to someone else? And that's why, yes, that conversation is so important. And a lot of women that I speak to as well, like, well, I've disclosed to him, and he hasn't asked me any questions. And I'm like, don't you want to know? Like, I want you to, ma- I want him to make sure that he fully understands. Because what if in a month something changes, and he's resentful or angry or any of those things? And we had because some of my clients have disclosure conversations, and the guy, and this happened to me. I used to put it on my Tinder profile. My top headline was in block letters. I test positive for the herpes virus. Now that's out in the open, let's move on to what's really important. And some guys were just so blase about it. Like, oh, cool, no worries. I'm like, don't you want to ask me a question or two? Like, do you just want to see me for a month? And then what if I decide, like, I used to get sick of people after a month. I just wasn't interested. I'm like, I don't want to be with you for a month. And then you end up with a lifelong virus and me be like, well, I'm just back to my life the way that it was. Like, I want you to understand the implications for you. Mm -hmm. And that's even something for us to consider. Like, if we don't want that on our conscience, and a lot of times we do fret and concern ourselves far more with possibilities of giving it to a partner than a partner is in getting it, period, or getting it from us. A lot of people, it seems like maybe they don't really care, but there's also an avoidance in that, just avoiding talking about it and maybe it won't happen. But then when it comes up, how is it going to be handled? The way that a person communicates with you about the dynamics of being in a discordant relationship, interaction, um, being able to talk about your intentions with one another really allows for both or all parties involved to assess the situation and go, okay, well, this person, the connection is worth the overwhelming uh, thoughts of what if. You know, all right, well, I might get this give this person herpes, but it is what it is. And the same thing on the other side of that. I might get herpes from this person, but they're awesome, you know, and so I want to be a little bit informed. Informed enough is okay to just understand, all right, there's a possibility that you can get it and that there are precautions that you can take and that it's treatable and that also there are support resources, communities that are available to you. And just being able to navigate the stigma is probably one of the more important aspects of this. So, yeah, these are just these are the things that are on our mind. And you look like you want to say something. Go ahead. Perth is big and it's also small. And last week I received a beautiful message from a woman who said to me, I just disclosed to the man that I just met and they live in quite a similar area to me, a few suburbs away. And he said to her, actually, I follow this chick online that, and she like she's made me realize that it's normal and common, and the stigma is the worst part of it. That it's okay. Like maybe if I hadn't seen that, I wouldn't know about it. So I feel, you know, when we do great work to really the stigma is the thing that we face off with the most. To normalize the conversations that have been stigmatized, so that when we disclose to the people that don't test positive for it, they've seen it and they've seen the conversation. And that's why it's no longer so much of a big deal and just a, a part of a conversation when you're having sex with someone. That's it. Beck, this has been an amazing conversation. Uh, I don't script podcasts or anything like that. So I'm really pumped that you were able to uh, come on here and just speak to us the way that you did. So transparent and 
just really communicative and concise with everything that you share. You sound like you've been through this <laughs> and uh, you're healing through it. And I'm really happy that we were able to make this podcast episode happen. Is there anything you want to leave us with before you go? And how can people connect with you and find you? so authentic and just natural and I think that's a beautiful skill um, handwritten on your soul I would say to any woman or man that's listening my main philosophy of life is avoiding emotional pain will only further manifest pain in your physical reality so whatever the symptom is is not the problem and if you're willing to look at the symptom and deep dive into where it's coming from and ask some powerful questions you will find your healing I promise and for those that connect with my voice you're very, very welcome to follow me over on Instagram. My name's Beck Antonucci, Beck with a K, and I really look forward to seeing you there. Thank you. All right, that concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to, and donate to Something Positive for Positive People. Uh, your money is helping to pay for people to get therapy. I'm putting together the group sessions. I'm recruiting uh, therapists who are positive or sex positive um, so that I can get people just connecting with one another. This is an ongoing relationship building, community, uh, community uh, building process and all input, all shares, all podcast reviews, referrals, all of that stuff really matters. And it's really aiding us in shifting the narrative around what it means to live with the herpes virus. Mental health and sexual health are so interconnected that I would argue that they're the exact same thing. So the more people that we can get on board with understanding that and understanding like the dynamics of this podcast have shifted so much about 10% of what we talk about is herpes and the other 90 is just on being a human. Right. So when we can start to see ourselves in that kind of light where we put more value in our humanness than we do our virus, then we're going to change the overall level of thought process around what it means to have herpes and the stigma will just become irrelevant to a lot of us. And the sooner we can get to that point, the sooner that when people are diagnosed or presented with a partner who has herpes, the quicker we can get out of that space of stigma and we can move forward accordingly in a way that is going to actually impact our lives and the lives of those around us, allowing us to feel more connected. All right. Till next time. Stay sex positive.